Let's be honest, few humans enjoy meetings and many feel trapped in meetings. As leaders, we don't want to burden those we lead, but meetings can seem to do that more often than not. We wanted to address the pain of meetings through the Meetings with Saints library. Here we have 15 plus presentations dedicated to improving the meetings we run. We have experts in the field addressing topics like getting people involved in meetings, staying on task, dealing with conflict in meetings, and a ton more. We'd love you to explore the full Meetings with Saints library over 14 days at no cost to you. You can do this by visiting leadingsaints.org 14. That's leadingsaints.org 14. We'll also give you access to all of our virtual libraries that educate about other leadership topics. It's really good stuff. So visit leadingsaints.org 14 or click the link in the show notes. Today we're recording one of the few episodes that in my own uh, home office here with Walter Franco. How are you, Walter? Doing great, Kurt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Now you just you live in Harriman now. Now, yes. And that's uh, I mean, uh, east southeast side or southwest, southwest of yes, uh, yeah. part of Salt Lake County. Right. Um, and you happen to be coming to Tooele County, where I live, for some business meetings. And so we thought, hey, while you're here, yeah. let's uh, let's record, right? Yep. And. Um, now, maybe just give us background. Where, where are, you, are you originally from Utah or, or what's your background? Yeah, so I'm uh, originally from San Diego, was born in San Diego, California and lived there and in Tijuana, Mexico for the first eight years of my life. Uh, then my mom uh, got married and then we moved to Nevada uh, with my, uh, at that time, stepdad. I uh, lived there for three years in Reno and then eventually moved over to uh, Utah right before high school, I think in eighth grade and uh lived first in magna then eventually moved over to holiday and uh went there went to high school at olympus before uh going on my mission so nice. um for the last 20 or so years 19 out of the, uh, the last 22 years or so that i've been in utah i've been in utah sorry aside from the mission and two years and then a year in grad school back in san diego nice and um you were a, bi a bishop in a Spanish-speaking unit in Midvale, Utah, which is sort of the middle of Salt Lake County, right? That's that, right. What do you remember from that story of being called as bishop? Because for people who can't see, you're not this uh, this uh, aged 69-year-old <laughs> who who knows all about life. You're young, a young buck, right? Yeah, so, I'm, I just turned 36 a few weeks ago, so I, I do. I'm starting to feel a lot old, and I and I uh, <laughs> I broke my back in a skiing accident in high school, so I actually have a really weak back, relatively speaking. Wow. So um, I, I have back problems. Uh, consistently. So I, I do feel old okay. physically. So, but um, yeah, I um, was called as a bishop in uh, actually first as a, a branch president in August of 2017. Um, we were a branch back then, but uh, and my stake president at the time uh, told told me that eventually we would become a ward and that would be the first uh, bishop of the ward and come to find out a month later that happened. And so oh, we wow, became a ward it. a month later and I officially <laughs> became a bishop. So, um, and just recently was released, uh, as I mentioned, we, we just moved to, to Harriman. And so I had served for essentially uh, four years and, and nine months. Wow. So when you became a ward, I assume they 
they set you apart again or yeah. as an ordained you as a bishop type of thing? Um, yeah. So I, I was already a uh, high priest before because I, I, I had been called earlier that year to be serving mm-hmm. the high council, um, state high council. And uh, yeah, just basically as soon as they got permission from the first presidency, it uh, just was re yeah. uh, set apart as a bishop now. So any general advice you'd have for others, maybe who go from being a branch to a ward, like was there anything that surprised you in that, that uh, transition? Um, I, I've been in other branches before, um, but in this case for me, I, I, I wouldn't say there was much of a transition because we, in many ways, we were already operating as, as a ward uh, autonomously. Um, typically in other Spanish branches that I've been, you're getting a lot of support with leadership from stake or from other wards. And so in this case, uh, we were we already felt like a ward. So oh, okay. it really wasn't, it was just more of a formality. It wasn't really much, that much of a change. Nice. Nice. And, uh, you served for almost five years. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then you moved. And so they, they released you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was a, a Spanish speaking unit in, in Salt Lake County area. Mm-hmm. What, I mean, I, then this, this is a, a topic close to my heart because I was a Spanish speaking missionary in Sacramento, California. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we were in, you know, very, uh, you know, in a, English speaking stake, but mm-hmm. in a Spanish speaking unit. So what, just explain the dynamics of your ward, what that was like, uh, anything th- worth mentioning. Yeah. So I, I guess to give more context first is, uh, so up until my mission, I had never attended a Spanish speaking unit, mm-hmm. uh, in, in my life. So my, uh, my mom is from Mexico. So I grew up speaking Spanish. Uh, but growing up in San Diego, my mom was baptized. So I was baptized Catholic. My mom was baptized in the church when I was five. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I eventually was baptized at eight. So in many ways, I still feel like I grew up in the church because my only memories, real memories are being a member of the church. Um, and so, but for growing up, up in the high school, I'd only been to, uh, English speaking units. Right. And so, um, I didn't really have a concept or understanding of Spanish speaking units. It wasn't until my mission, uh, first several of the areas, uh, there, there wasn't a large enough population base or uh, sufficient members to have a, a ward or a branch. And so we would have small groups, kind of like you, we mentioned before this podcast that, uh, we would have maybe five or 10 investigators or members that spoke Spanish. And so I would interpret in the back of the the sacrament hall, and then we'd have our own gospel principles class in Spanish. And that was about it. Hmm. Um, And so uh, it wasn't until I was actually in Jacksonville, Florida, the city where I served my mission, where I actually tended to branch for the first time, really like the the cultural and feel. Um, And so when I came back and got married to my wife, she had always gone to a, a Spanish speaking uh, unit her whole life. And so we decided together to, to start attending. So this was um, about 14 years ago. And um, ever since that's, that's all we, we've attended. And so when I compare, um, and this is this rather than give you, I guess, my personal perspective, this is the perspective that a lot of the stake has given us uh, that they really like the familial feel that it feels like family in, in, in uh, Spanish where we always have activities, a lot of fun activities. We're very uh, party happy. Always people. good food. Yeah. Always yeah. great food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and very diverse too. I think, yeah. I think sometimes people that don't attend Spanish words, uh, don't understand kind of that there are a lot of cultural intricacies in a Spanish unit because uh, not everyone's from one country. So you have, especially in my ward, um, you had probably the largest base was either Mexican or Peruvian descendancy. Mm-hmm. And then you have a lot of Argentinians, Venezuelans, Colombians. So obviously we're reunited by our language and there's certain similarities with certain foods and certain, you know, values, but 
the accents are different, the dialects, um, a lot of interests are sometimes different than the food can be different. And so only the Mexican food is spicy. Right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it's very unique, but, but we do unite and obviously in our faith and our testimonies. And that's why we're able to have fun and, and have these activities and parties and, and everything. So it's, it's, it's different too, in the sense that, um, when you're teaching both to adults and the youth, you can kind of be more animated when you teach. Um, and I'm not saying that's, this is a critique of, of English speaking students where I went, but I, I feel when I was, you know, going, growing up, going to English speaking units, you, you tend to be, and this is me also speaking, um, you tend to teach more, um, close to the, not close to the vest, but you tend to just teach more, you know, formal buttoned up with your approach. Yeah. Right. Would you but, say like reverence is sort of yeah, prioritized. A yeah. Lot, I right? think so. Like as far as like how I present myself when I t talk about the gospel, I'm very, exactly. I'm yeah. Not, I'm not, you know, there's a certain, right. Yeah. There's more of a, a certain cadence. Right. But, yeah. and you might be able to, to remember from your mission when, when you speak in Spanish, you use your hands a lot more, you're more mm -hmm. animated. And so I, I have a very unique style in Spanish units where I, I try to make people laugh a lot and, and, and we'll sit down in the middle of class. I'm teaching, I'll sit down next to someone and I'll ask them questions and then I'll get up again. Oh, nice. And then, <laughs> so it, it, it just creates kind of a different environment. Right. But, um, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, if you, if you have the opportunity, especially we get a lot of return missionaries that, uh, went on Spanish speaking missions that come to our ward to try yeah. it out. And they ended up many stay and love like it because gringos like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Like gringos. Yeah. Because they, they, they said, I absolutely love serving in a Spanish ward in my, pre, you know, whether it was in another country or here in the States and they, they have this, you know, they develop this love for the Latino people and um, it, it really can be contagious. And that's why, you know, the state often comes to us and say, Hey, what type, of, what type of activities can we have that kind of have that same feel that you guys do? Mm. And, you know, and sometimes it's, it's achievable, but I think a lot of it has to do with the, kind of the culture, the yeah. cultural differences. So that, that's maybe a place to leverage is, is to, you know, harness that energy that maybe comes from the Spanish speaking Absolutely. area that yeah. you're maybe more accustomed to parties. I don't know. I feel like another, you know, Americans don't like parties, but I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, there's a different energy, different games, right, right. right? Good or bad. It, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, I'm curious, you know, you talk about the diversity of different um, countries and backgrounds, you know, who obviously all speak Spanish. I remember that stimulated some drama at times where you sort of have these clicks of the, I remember the, you know, the Peruvians were sort of in their group and the Mexicans in their group and whatnot. I mean, was that a, a real dynamic that you had to work through? It absolutely is. It's an unfortunate thing, but uh, you usually tend to see a lot more familiarity with, you know, certain groups Peruvians are more, you know, not, I don't want to say helpful, but they, they kind of just gather more around their own and same with Mexicans and everything. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to say that in my time as a bishop, you didn't see that as much. Um, and I'm not necessarily doing that to give me credit, but I think there was definitely a concerted effort from us as leaders to make sure that everyone felt included and that, um, there were, you know, I don't want to say there were no clicks period, but just to really minimize that and try to engage everyone the same way. And, and it's something that we, we truly embrace too. I, I would also, I would often bring up 
you know, jokingly to, to the ward, like this, we're having, we're experiencing a proving invasion. And, and, and I would joke that if I were more, <laughs> if I were more obedient in the pre-mortal life, I would have been born Peruvian and uh, things like yeah, that. Yeah. People like that. And so, yeah, yeah. um, uh, just to try to make light of it, but, um, you know, in, in other words, it definitely, I had sensed that a lot. Um, and was there anything, Utah, like, but, anything intentional that you did or uh, routines or uh, other than maybe just men- mentioning it jokingly here and there? Yeah, I think, I think just kind of acknowledging it and then just kind of playing it off, I think helped a lot. Um, but like I said, I think for the most part, it, especially as I was wrapping up, um, these last few years in the mission, or excuse me, and, and as a Bishop, um, it, it wasn't something that was really noticeable, but it is something cool. noticeable that you can kind of tell at the beginning and you kind of try to work with leadership and, and it helps having a very diverse leadership as well. So in my, uh, in my bishopric, my counselors actually had a lot of turnover, had to rotate a lot, but my, my last two counselors, one was from Spain and the other one was from Peru. Before that one was Mexican. Another one was American. Um, uh, another one was Guatemalan. And so having that diversity and, and having everyone see that we're working together despite our cultural differences, yeah. uh, I think w- went a long way. Yeah. Try not to have the full ward council from Mexico. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Probably a good yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, uh, as we do in these, how I lead interviews, I had to send me a few principles that we could uh, talk through. Maybe we've touched on some of these already, but the first one being, uh, see them as the Lord sees them. And I, this probably plays off of what you were just saying. Anything else to add there? Yeah, no, I, th- I think, um, you know, as a leader, in working with leadership, but also working with the members, one thing that I, I really, that really, I, I think I, I was able to achieve from the very beginning is before I was a Bishop, obviously, you know, you know, members, you know, kind of know sometimes some of the background with some issues or challenges that they have, or just as a human being, right. You know, I don't like how he combs or she combs her hair. I don't like the shoes or I don't like that. They like BYU as I'm, I'm a U- university Utah. Alum, oh so I, I had no idea. <laughs> I didn't screen you well. <laughs> so, uh, so little things like, I mean, obviously that's not a, that's, a, that's a trivial thing, but just right. an example, like there's differences in, across the board. Right. And so one thing that I learned quickly as a Bishop is that whatever prejudice or whatever preconceived notion you have about a certain person, you have to check that out, out at the door, especially as a bishop. And uh, because they're going to be coming to you with their most pressing, their most intimate uh, issues or challenges or questions. Mm. And so you have to be a neutral, loving uh, uh, voice and and uh, ear more than anything. And, and more than that, going back to that point with the, how this, the Lord sees them. So obviously all of us have imperfections and really something that I try to uh, see you know, the members of my ward was, you know, how does the Lord look at them? Well, if I look at them as a human being, I might see their defects, their, their faults, the things that they do wrong, if they don't wake up on time, or if they don't read the scriptures every single day, or if they don't pay, a, 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 you know, an honest tithe. But, and if I get, you know, if I judge them for that, how does the Lord see them? Does the Lord really like look at them and scoff at them or kind of like roll their eyes? Like he would never do that. Right. right. The, the Lord sees them lovingly. And, more than that, how does I need to worry about how the Lord sees me, right? If, if I'm seeing someone uh, very badly, how is that person seeing me or how are others seeing me, right? And I want the Lord, I want them to see me the same that the Lord sees me. The Lord sees the potential in all of us, regardless of our, our defects. And so I really had to change my perspective and look at them and look at the, rather than look at their weaknesses, look at their potential and really build off of that. Once I understood, you know, this person is a child of God, just like I am. And the Lord loves them. And the Lord sees so much potential in their, in their um, what they can achieve both temporally and spiritually on this earth. I need to have that same vision and, and doing that really helped me 
uh, have per really great personal relationships with the members of, of, of the ward um, where um, I understood them and they felt too that I wasn't really, I was more of their advocate that I, that I wasn't there to make them feel bad, but I was there to lift them up mm -hmm. and to listen to them and to encourage them, sometimes cheerlead. And by having that relationship, then when it was necessary, if there had to be a correction or if we had to have a tough dis discussion or, or uh, things that would be maybe uncomfortable, I could do that with more confidence because they knew it was coming from someone that truly cared about them and that I wasn't just looking at their faults, but I was looking at, Hey, these are some challenges. How, how can I help you to, to build off of that? How can I help you improve? How can I, more than anything, how can I help you build your relationship and fortify your relationship with, with Jesus Christ? Yeah. And, and any story or experience come to mind as far as how you go about that? Like maybe somebody is walking in your office for a confession or just having a hard time, like, because it's easy to sort of default to that, like, well, you know, you know how bad this is or whatnot. Like, how, how did you approach that as more like the cheerleader or the encourager? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've, I, you know, especially in dealing with uh, working with youth, preparing for missions, you know, one of the things that I always said was as they're preparing their papers, I, I always say, as soon as you submit this paper, as soon as you commit be prepared for a hailstorm of problems from uh, or, or temptations from Satan and only he, and he knows your weaknesses. So this is a testament to you of the commitment that you're making the right decision because all these temptations will mm -hmm. come in. And I've essentially not prophesied or predicted, but said, these are the types of challenges that will come to you as a result of you, this commitment that you've made. And in many cases, um, if they didn't really heed to that counsel. They would come back to me and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this or that. And then we would talk through it rather than saying, Hey, and saying, hey I told you so. I'd say like, Hey, okay, we discussed about these possibilities happening. So what can, what can I do to help you now get back on that road uh, to get you back on the yeah. right path? Right. And so it was always more about rather than me saying, this is what you need to do. It was talk to me about what's happening. How do you feel? Do you feel this could have gone been different? And then I turn it around and then say, how can I support you in this process and, and helping? I think, and that usually led to really great discussions where sometimes they answer their own questions and they say, well, I need to do this better. I need to change this. And I said, I, I think that's a great idea and really put the ownership of repentance or change in their hands rather than saying, you know, giving them a prescription, like I'm a doctor, I'm saying, what do you feel the Lord is telling you? And then once they've gone through that process is talk to them and say, you know, do you feel do you feel not only do you feel like the Lord has forgiven you, but do you have you forgiven yourself as well? Mm -hmm. We've had those and having those discussions and letting them dictate how they are on the road to recovery. And I yeah. think giving them that sense of empowerment um, really helped strengthen those relationships as well. Yeah, I love that, you know, sense of empowerment. And I love a good reframe because you're framing it like, of course, this is happening. Of course, it's been a tough week for you because look at these commitments you've made right now. Right. Let's look at it for what it is. And I'm your partner in this and in this battle with the adversary. And so let's figure out what the next step is rather than, oh, like, I'm so disappointed. Like, here you are preparing for a mission. Right, right, right. That's, right. Not, that's not a helpful right. frame. Right? And, and, and that's... And that's something that would happen sometimes too, is not just those preparing for mission, but sometimes people would come to me and say, you know, I didn't want to tell you because I'm embarrassed. I didn't want to disappoint you. And, mm -hmm. and I would have to come back and say, Hey, listen, I'm always here to support you. I'm, I'm your, I'm here to help you strengthen your relationship with, with, with Christ and to help them to properly apply the atonement. And so I really try to eliminate that sense for I'm, I'm their bishop. So I'm kind of their, their judge. And, and obviously to a degree, yes, we are judges in Israel, but at the end of the day, I'm, I always would try to really 
drive home the point that I'm simply an instrument to help them strengthen the relationship and to apply the atonement. And so I would really play off of that and say, you're not here. Don't do this for me. Do this for the Lord. How are you feeling with the Lord? And always frame it on mm. their relationship with the Lord and not their relationship with yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Turning them back to, yeah. to the Lord. Cause that's, uh, you know, it's really, he's, he's the one in charge here. Exactly. And he's helping the right. process. Uh, anything else as far as see them as the, as the Lord sees them? No. And, and I think what I would try to do too, also with, um, you know, with other leaders as well, the elders quorum president relief society, um, being in an award, you know, in our Spanish unit, I think one of the challenges that we had is I think with most English speaking wards, you typically have ward rosters in the hundreds and hundreds. Right. Mm -hmm. And then you have obviously a certain percentage that are inactive, but you, you typically have a larger pool to draw from for strong leadership with Spanish wards, at least the one that I was recently in, um, we have a, we only had, I mean, maybe 240 members on the roll. And so about 50% were, were active. Um, and so you don't have as, as hard, uh, wider pool uh, of, of leadership. Um, and a lot of those people that are active are usually first generation members, recent converts. And so they, they don't have the established leadership um, skills that were developed, you know, from years of, of generations of, uh, or at least understanding the culture of the church and not a negative culture, but just the culture of leadership and understanding the sacrifices and the commitments. Right. And so one of the things that I, I really tried to work with leaders that I worked with in ward council, et cetera, is that, um, in working with teachers and working with other counselors, you know, we're going to fail. We're going to mess up. There's a huge learning curve for a lot of people. Sometimes with recent commerce, we throw them into really demanding callings because we need, we need the help there and to really have the patience with them and say, Hey, listen, they're trying their best. You know, all of us are trying our best. None of us are being paid. We're, we're committed to the Lord. And so if the Lord, if they truly magnify their calling, regardless of what that capacity is, someone's capacity might be smaller than another, but as long yeah. as they maximize it, then that's enough to the Lord. And that should be enough for us as well. And just really embrace what they can give and applaud them for it and build them up. And, and by the next year, that capacity will increase and, and vice and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so, um, I think that was something that we really try to emphasize as, as a leadership in the war to really um, have patience and, and really see them all have the Lord sees them, their infinite potential and understand that it's a process. It's not an event mm -hmm. talking about conversion and also just uh, developing our leadership skills. Yeah. And was there a certain context in which you did emphasize that? I mean, was it in ward council and one-to-one -one meetings or you're just always saying it? Mostly one-to-one -one meetings because I, sometimes um, if um, you know, someone was struggling with, you know, fulfilling callings, or, you know, miscommunication, et cetera. I often speak with the, you know, elders quorum president or Relief society or Sunday school president. They would come to me and say, Hey, we're struggling with this member. And so oftentimes we'd say, okay, have you met with them yet? Have you talked about rather than saying, Hey, you're not doing this and this saying, asking them, how do you think things are going in your calling? Um, are there any challenges? Are there, uh, any successes. And then again, we're kind of reframing it back to them, letting them tell you if there's an issue and if they're, if they don't identify it, then working with them say, Hey, we feel that we can probably, you know, improve on this. And so it's almost like a, you know, it's kind of like a job review or, in, uh -huh. you know, in yeah. almost in a way, um, I hate to term it that, but, but like an opportunity for feedback. Yeah, and yeah exactly. Right? And, and make it more than, uh, then, Hey, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to change, but having a back and forth conversation and to make sure that we're on the same page. Cause oftentimes our expectations are different than theirs or their understanding. Yeah. Right. And so usually when you work out that way, you're able to clear the air and, and 
build common ground off of that. And in many cases, they'll recognize, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't know you expected that from me or, or yes, you're right. I've realized that I, I need to do a better job. And they're more committed as opposed to saying, hey, you know, you didn't show up for this class. We need, we really need you to commit framing it different. Like, Hey, you know, we missed you in class today. Is there anything that, that I can help you with and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so easy sometimes in these volunteer, uh, you know, religious experiences that you can sort of just not talk about it and just say, well, it exactly. is what it is. I don't want to get, you know, get on his case about whatever, but you know, I think people in the end, they really appreciate feedback that's done in a very respectful way. And then now they walk out of that office, maybe they're kind of frustrated, but if it's met with love, right. um, they're like, oh, you know, I probably could do better. And this is cool because I want to do a good job right. in this calling. Right. right? And that's, and, that's great. And, and I think the important thing too is uh, recognizing that ultimately, you know, whether you're in Sunday school or whatever calling you have, you're not doing it for the bishop, you're not doing it for the Sunday school president. You're not mm -hmm. doing it for the elder president. I'm not doing my job as a bishop for this to, to make the stake president happy. Ultimately, it's because of the commitment I personally made with the Lord. So all of this, yeah. all of I'm doing, all that I'm doing is for the Lord. And if we have that frame of reference or perspective in any of our callings, I think it, it helps us understand what this is really about, that it's serving the Lord through his servants and blessing others. And so if we recognize that we're not doing it to, 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 uh, to be in line with what the bishop wants or to not disappoint him, but rather say, now I'm doing this because I made commitments, you know, covenants when I got baptized, I made covenants when I went to the temple to serve and to commit. That I think helps a lot. And, and it gives you maybe the proper motivation to, to really try to magnify your calling. Yeah. Uh, the next principle is listen first and listen a lot before you speak. I mean, this, there's probably few skills that leaders could work on than, than listening. So yeah, teach us. Um, I, I, I think, um, and this is more probable. Well, no, I think this, this applied a lot to my conversations on one-on-ones with leaders, but mostly obviously in counseling and, and uh, working with the members when they would come to me is um, I would always try to fully hear them out first. Uh, and, and sometimes uh and there are many times where I actually wouldn't speak or give them recommendations or, or any counsel. I would let them first just speak about their challenges or questions or issues. And then I would ask more questions. Have you, have you thought about this or what are your thoughts about that to really fully understand from their perspective? Because sometimes when someone makes a decision or has a certain thought or, or, or certain action, as a human being, you'll think, well, that was dumb or why did you do that? Like, I totally wouldn't have done that, but, yeah. but I try to really understand their context. I, you know, if they're a recent convert, you know, and many times, you know, if it's a 35 year old that gets baptized, they had a completely different lifestyle in life before. Right. And so, um, I need to fully understand that context, you know, whatever their challenges are now, because they didn't have, they most likely didn't have the same type of lifestyle or life that I did. And if I better understand where they're coming from and put myself in their shoes, then I'm able to, I feel like I'm better able to apply the spirit and be able to provide more relevant, um, you know, context. And so, and oftentimes what would happen is I maybe wouldn't have any immediate thoughts for them in that meeting, but then the next day or the day after I would listen to a conference talk and then it would click and like, Oh, that's exactly what they needed. And then I would send it to them uh, via yeah. text message or whatever and say, Hey, thanks again for, for talking the other night. Um, and I, I listened to this conference talk and I think this is actually really applied. And yeah. many times it would be, Oh, wow, this is actually, yeah, this is perfect. And so, um, I, I really tried to just be as good a listener as I can, um, 
to listen to them. And, and many times that's sometimes all they wanted was just to vent and talk. And as I mentioned before, working with sometimes with missionaries is by asking them questions and kind of just listening to them. Sometimes they end up answering their own questions or, or concerns mm-hmm. or, or their own plan of action to help them get out of a certain challenge or temptation or, or sin or whatever. And so, um, there, there were sometimes where I would have to say, well, this is what, you know, should happen is, but that's, I think that's after developing those relationships. Right. And so, especially when I'm meeting a member for the first time, um, or, uh, don't have an established relationship with them, I really try to listen as much as possible first and really gain their confidence that way, because I, I think it probably comes off very authoritative authoritatively uh-huh. if, uh, if they come in and I immediately start saying, Hey, you know, uh, read this verse and this verse and, uh, you know, yeah. come back to me in a week. And uh, yeah. so, so it's more of just listening to their concerns. And I, and I think doing that has really, as I mentioned before, has really given me a good chance to build great relationships because they felt that they had a, an ear to listen to. And sometimes I was the only person they could speak to because either their spouse wouldn't understand or, or, you know, with, if it's a youth, they couldn't discuss it with their parents yet, or they didn't know how to discuss it. And so by listening to them and just them knowing they can get it off their chest, I, th- I think, uh, was probably felt like a relief at, to a degree. Yeah. And one thing I've noticed with a lot of people maybe think they have a problem or then they want it solved, but really what they want is they want somebody to hear it and witness it. Right. Even exactly, if you don't yeah. have the answer, right. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't know what to do. And the bishop doesn't really seem to do, but you know, he sat with me in that and he didn't push me towards a specific scripture immediately or a three point plan or, or whatnot. And, and just, and it seems like, as we talk about this on paper, like it seems easy, but you really have to push through that knee jerk reaction of being like, Oh, well I got the perfect scripture or here's three, three yeah. conference docs or, and just saying like, no, I'm actually going to ask another question. Right. Right. Um, or I'm going to say, what, what do you think? Or what have you thought of? And you may find out they've already thought about that, that concept that you were about to fire hose them with. Right. Right. And just creating that space and let it unfold naturally rather than, you know, we got 15 minutes here. We got to, what do you got? Like, let's solve this and get you on your way. Cause I got another appointment coming in. Right. right. And and I think along those lines too, is uh, sometimes there wouldn't be a solution or an answer right away. And, and we would talk about like, you know, specifically with the gospel and say, Hey, listen, the gospel or the conversion to the gospel isn't an event. It's really a process. Like the, hopefully the, the ideas and the plan is that we live several decades long. And so there's going to be highs and lows. There's going to be, it's going to be a roller coaster. So you're, there's not supposed to be one moment where you figure it out. And so as, and so working with members is, you know, work through these challenges or issues over time, it's going to be a process. Um, um, and ask those questions, but at the same time, what really matters is going back to the basics of the gospel, which mm-hmm. is faith, repentance, baptism, gifts of the Holy Ghost, receiving the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. If we really focus on those basics and really try our best to to strengthen that core, then ultimately the rest um, kind of falls into place. We have more peace, uh, especially if we have doctrinal questions that maybe we won't get the answer in this lifetime. And, and when I've shared that, I say like, you know, I've thought about this too, or, or that's a great question. And to be honest, I don't know if you're going to get an answer for that in this lifetime. However, um, where are you with this, these core principles? Are you, do you feel like you're doing your best there? And if, and if you are, then I promise you that the Lord will give you ease of mind with these other questions because, or challenges, um, because you're focusing on, 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 on what really matters. You're, you're some of these questions, 
ultimately may not matter in, in the eternal perspective. Um, but this is what we're going to be judged on, not on those questions. We're going to be judged on our faithfulness. Are, are we applying the atonement? Are we enduring to the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, and just refocuses them so that they can yeah. start to breathe again you know, right. in, the, yeah. in the context of the gospel. Anything else in regards to listening that you haven't touched on yet? No, I think I think that's it. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, next principle is my role is to lead by serving. How did you do that? Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, I, I I always try to. So having served in other leadership columns as well, I, I, um, I remember specifically on my mission. So I met my wife. She was a missionary as well in Jacksonville, Florida. And I remember I was giving a, uh, a, a talk or a presentation to the missionaries in, in a zone conference. And uh, I don't remember what I said or what it was about, but I remember my wife was in one of those zone conferences and she specifically said how she was like really just kind of turned off by my approach where I said, you guys need to do this and that. That's right? what she knew. That's what she, yeah, the man. That's what she, she's like, I'm going to change that guy. <laughs> um, so, and so that kind of always stuck with me. So this was, like I said, 15, 16 years ago is rather than saying you, so this is, so I was, I've been very careful to in, when I speak in sacrament or when I teach, uh, in class as a Bishop, where I never say you, I say, we, mm. I say, we, as a, as a, as members of the church, we, as members of this ward, we, as human beings need to do this. And that's so why I've always changed that because of that conversation, because I don't want to come off. And I, and I told this to, to, uh, all the time in my interviews or meeting with, with members, I said, please know, although I'm the Bishop, that does not mean that I'm better than you does not mean that i'm more spiritual than you does not mean that um the lord loves me more like i am simply this is a temporary calling i'm an instrument for the lord for a specific period of time eventually i'll be released and that won't matter anymore right someone else will be a bishop i'm only here for this time to be a bishop and my principal role is to serve and to help you relate strengthen your relationship with christ right and so um that's what i would say verbally but talking about leading uh, or serving by or leading by serving. However, I, I said it, yeah. uh, lead, lead by serving, lead right? By serving, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is to, I've always said as a Bishop, my, my other role is to be the first one to, to, as uh, to, to serve call of action, right? I'm mm-hmm. the first one to, 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 to get my hands dirty. I'm the first one. If someone needs help for whatever reason, I'm the first one to, to extend my hand. And, um, it's not for me to del. I mean, there's elements of that. I need to delegate for certain tasks, but I need to be the first one to always respond. I'm almost a, a spiritual first responder, if mm-hmm. you will. And, um, you know, I, I, I would verbally say, but I would also physically do it by, um, with, with hospital visits, obviously, which was frequent. Um, but also, um, you know, with activities, being the first one to lift up clean chairs and to help, you know, with cleaning assignments and to take the lead on, on certain initiatives or service opportunities. And that way, by me doing that, when I said it, when I would come to members or leaders and ward council say, Hey, um, this, we've received this assignment. I've already taken this date. And by showing first rather than saying, Hey, I need someone to take care of this. And then I kind of give, I don't want to give that perception that I'm leaning back and letting someone else take care of it. Right. And so, um, by doing that and, and even helping when I, I'm not required to be there with, with certain activities for relief site and stuff like that, I, I tried to give off the perception or sense that I I'm always there to serve and, and to help. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately that's, that's what a leader is, is serving rather than, you know, sitting on a soapbox and telling people to repent and doing this and that. Like I, I really tried to avoid that and really shied away from, from being a center of attention saying, Oh, he's the Bishop with the high authority. And, and ultimately too is, um, 
working with the Relief Society, the Elders Quorum president, they would, uh, or their young women's president or whoever, they sometimes would kind of come to me and say like, okay, you have the final word on, on this thing. And I would say, no, no. Like, why do you feel that we should do this activity or this or that? Like, what are your, and I would turn around and what are your thoughts? Um, and then say, okay, how can I help you achieve that? And, and really, again, trying to empower them where they don't feel like I have to give the final say for, for everything. There's certain instances, obviously, where, um, you know, I would have to say, well, I, I really think we should go this direction, but that was really far, few and far between. Uh, in many cases, it was just the leaders being autonomous. And that's, I feel, because I tried to um, serve them and say, how can I help you? How, and, and really trusting their impression, specifically with, on, with the sisters, with Relief Society and young women, um, where I would tell them as they select counselors or, or certain things that they want to do or, or minister, I would say, I trust the impressions that you receive in the relationship with the Lord. I, I, I sustain you and I support you. Mm. Trust in the Lord, not saying trust in me, trust in my counsel. I say, I trust in the Lord. What come back to me with what, what you're feeling and let me know how, I, how I can support you. And, um, like I said, we've, in my time, I don't think we've ever had any issues where, you know, I said something and people were against it or there were like, disagreements or fights maybe more with one of my counselors but that's because we had a great relationship and we, we understood yeah. exactly what what we were doing as, as as servants of the lord and so but we we, we sustained each other and, and worked each other great but um i think just showing by your actions and your word yeah. is the best way to to lead uh to serve by leading or lead by serving yeah i think that if you set the standard of just being proactive that I think that sort of sets a tone of a culture, you know, right. and to encourage your war council, we're just going to be proactive people. Right. right, and, right. and if we're proactive, then we can ask people to be proactive. Right. right. And it's all works out. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So before we wrap up, I want to just get your general thoughts as far as leading a Spanish unit in a, a Spanish unit in an English speaking stake. And this could yeah. be, you know, there's Polynesian wards out there. There's, yeah. um, you know, there's a few Chinese wards out there I know in Salt Lake and whatnot. And so, and I get, and speaking to sort of that group who maybe has misconceptions about the Spanish word in the stake or, and I think most people by far, there's, there's nothing but best intentions sure. in it. Right. And of course you can probably think of a handful of experiences of like some lady or man in the stake said this thing and it was like so offensive, but obviously that's not the norm. Right. Right. So just speaking to like those members who have a language unit in their stake, like any misconceptions that come to mind readily or any advice you have? Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I think it's always been a challenge any, anywhere, but I think the important thing is to try to really find common ground with, with members of, of non-English speaking units. The common ground is our faith and testimony in, in the church and Christ. Right. And so that should be enough to, build and strengthen those relationships. I think, unfortunately, um, sometimes you can, if you're an English speaking word, you can, some people might have the perception, oh, they're, they're foreigners are different. They have different lifestyles. They have different beliefs. They have different values, but the reality is all of us, many of us in, in the, the Spanish units specifically, we also have families. We also have jobs. We also struggle. Uh, we also have anxiety, depression. We also have to pay rent or a mortgage. We also have to pay car insurance. We, yeah. we have the same challenges that, that any English speaking unit does. Right. And, uh, the only difference is, uh, sometimes we're 
step first or second generation immigrants that that are coming from a different lifestyle. Sometimes we're first generation converts where we didn't have the foundation of, of the gospel uh, or, you know, pioneer ancestry, right? We're literally you are the, the pioneers. pioneers. We are the pioneers, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so uh, just like the pioneers back in the 1800s, they had different lifestyle, different challenges, but they were able to bind together. And so, um, you know, I, I think finding that common ground first um, and understanding that we're, we're more similar than different. I think, um, as I had mentioned before, um, before I became bishop, I was called to be in the high council and was, was assigned to uh, be oversee uh, one of the English speaking words. And so I remember first the reaction from the branch was actually very uh, excitement because they said, we're finally going to have a Spanish uh, speaking representative uh, in at, at the stake level. So it was the kind of like, a uh, uh, there was a lot of pride in that and I didn't understand why, but then just being in, in I think it helped to change perceptions, uh, that sometimes exist between English speaking words and non-English speaking words that, Oh, they're, they, you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, some veiled or discrimination, yeah. you know, unfortunate. But, um, I, I think when I was in the stake, when I was a high councilman, it was a great experience uh, overseeing this ward. And, and right there too, I, I immediately tried to immerse myself in the ward and help and serve and would go on elders quorum visits and, and work with the bishop and see how I support and go to sacrament meeting often. And I think that really helped them see, oh, this is, you know, a Spanish speaking member. Um, he's more like us. He, he works, he has a family, he, he you know, he, yeah. and so that I think helped a lot and, and it helped really create a great relationship where even after they would still remember me uh, as we would see some of their stake events and it helped build a better relationship with, with that Spanish unit. And so, um, you know, I, I remember too, this was in a different branch, uh, probably 10 years ago, there was a member from, a, a another ward in the stake who who kind of mumbled himself like why why don't they uh, learn to speak english mm-hmm. uh they're they're here in the united states which is i'm sure a common refrain throughout uh not just in the church but also yeah. you know mm-hmm. generally speaking and i remember thinking to myself and, and it kind of upset me because the 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 most intimate relationship aside from our, our family that we have on this earth is our relationship with god and jesus christ and so um that should never be negotiated in the film form that we communicate with him. Right. And so if my relationship with God is more personal in Spanish or Tagalog or French or whatever, then that's what it should be. And then the end Latinos specifically that are Spanish dominant, they're very faithful and have a strong faith, even from their previous religion. If if they're, you know, first generation, they have a very, very, and you, you, like I said, you can attest to that from your mission very strong, unwavering faith in God. And, um, and if that's in Spanish, so be it. I think that's, that's beautiful. And so, um, I think again, going back to the question is finding that common ground. And then also probably if possible, feasible, trying to find, um, activities where there's kind of a cross culture of, of, of thing, right? So we, what we will do, what we would do often is every fall and most Spanish words do this is we have like a cultural night where we have, we set up booths from every country where we share food and then we have like a, a folkloric dances on the stage and, and everything. That tends to be our biggest yeah. event of the year. And we often invite members from the stake or we always invite members from the stake and we invite them kind of jokingly to, to set up a USA table. <laughs> so they'll have cookies and like apple pie or whatever, but it's a great yeah. way for them to see how we 
how we value family, which is the same as, you know, American, you know, quote unquote American values, but also to try different foods and, and, and see how we're still united by faith, but we have certain differences, but that's okay. But we still have fun. We still smile. And then after all that, we, we, we pick everything up and then we have, we do dance, we do salsa dancing and other stuff like that. And so, um, I, I think it, it, it may be kind of one of the, the principles that, that I said is see them, how the Lord sees them. So I think all of us as members, whether we're English speaking or another language speaking unit, see those others in our, in those, in our stake, how the Lord sees them. And I think that really changes the perspective for yeah. everyone. What about the dynamics? Like uh, I've often hear maybe, you know, well, we, this is a human thing. Mm-hmm. We have this mentality of like, there's a right way to do things. Right. right. And and yep. even, and then you put that in, in a structure of a very well-organized church with handbooks and, and even you know, the unwritten order of things, which I hope is a phrase that goes away. But you know, there's this feeling of like, even in the handbook, if it doesn't say there's just sort of a way to do it. And maybe it goes back to your example of, you know, when we teach children in American culture, it's maybe with a little more reverence, right. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, on our, the tone of our voice and those types of things where we sort of project that onto, well, when we're in the chapel, you know, there's, there's a level of reverence we need to have or whatever it is. And, and maybe we think, you know, the Spanish speaking war, they, they hold parties in the church, which are probably a little much or, you know, right, right. It, it, these are maybe perceptions that are maybe subconscious a lot yeah, of times. Or yeah. I've heard, uh, you know, so the, sometimes there's complaints to the stake of like, you know, somebody should really talk to the the Spanish bishopric about their parties because yeah. they're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or even the way you socialize in the foyer may yeah. be, be a thing. And so I've heard of some mistakes. Well, we always keep the Spanish word at the last of the day because they're sort of disruptive. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's a very practical answer, right. Of right. maybe maintaining reverence, but it can come across of like, well, what are we like the, the stepchild in the stake, you know, right, like, right, yeah. and not that I'm saying you experienced this, uh, but speaking generally, like, is there anything to say about that? Yeah, no, I, and I definitely experienced that. Uh, not so much in this stake, uh, but in, in others I have, in, in other branches that I've attended. But I, get, I think it comes down to you have you have cultural differences, obviously, with American culture and, and Latin American culture, where we tend to be more, I guess, loud and more social, and and, and especially wherever the situation is, right? But um, you also kind of have a uh, a chasm or a chasm of, of, of differences also too within the church culture, right? Mm-hmm, With mm-hmm. the way that we worship God is, is still ultimately at the core of the same, but um, also you have to take into account too that because of our upbringing, first generation, second generation converts were, if, if most of us are originally from the predominant Catholic faith, we still have some of those things ingrained of how we right. socialized or how we, um, worshiped right and so you have to, if you understand that context of that background for the latino culture it makes sense why it's like that unless you're you come here and get back to the church and you become totally americanized or utah utahized or whatever because yeah, i mean that's, it's a that's, disease I'm yeah, afraid. Yeah, right, yeah. And, 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 and and you you know it, it, the church the church is different too no matter what like, i think one of the biggest culture shocks that i had when I went to Florida on my mission, um, cause I first, the first war that I went to was an English speaking unit that had a small Spanish group. And I was just floored by the difference in organization and just the culture of that ward, as opposed to the war that I went to in holiday. Uh-huh. So just a vast difference. And so, um, it's not just English and Spanish, but it, it's also just depends where you're at. It's going to be different in California, 
Nevada, you know, right. And then, and then remember the church is a global church, right? If, if, if you go to, if you were to go to a ward in France, it might be completely different than what you would see in Pleasant Grove. Yeah. And, and for, for some in Pleasant it, Grove, yeah. it might be completely irreverent for what they're seeing in France, right. Or in Germany or in Africa or wherever. And so I think, um, how to address that? I mean, I guess it just comes down to what we've said before yeah. is, you know, understand that there are differences. It's not going to be the way that, that, that maybe, you know, traditionalists might say, and I, I guess I use that term loosely, but just maybe what we're thinking of core Utah membership, right? I don't think there is a right or wrong way. I think if it's going back to the basics again with faith, repentance, you know, baptism, give the Holy Ghost enduring to the end. If we're maintaining to that, the rest of the stuff kind of, that doesn't matter as much, yeah. right? We're still taking the sacrament. We're still following the doctrine as it should just other things that are unwritten. I don't think matter as much. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's just that awareness, right. Of sometimes you feel that and you're like, Oh, I, I sort of feel this, uh, this tension because they're doing it different yeah, than I yeah. would do it. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. You no, know, that's okay. Here yeah. we go. Anyways, back to, or maybe I should go in and, and, uh, grab a taco or something. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, that, and that's, and that's why I really, uh, I always, um, uh, I love it when, um, English speaking members or youth from the state go on Spanish speaking missions because you can see how that's changed them yeah. when they get back. And most of the times so I was like, I want to go to Spanish ward or branch because it's just to the, oftentimes they say it's so much more fun or more spiritual or just because of the, the, the realness of the people. And I'm not saying that as a, a critique or uh but just they just they, they see something different that they didn't see growing up in an yeah. English ward, right? And so many come and sometimes they meet uh, their significant other uh, at an award or, or, you know, they get married and they end up coming to award. So we had a lot of, we had a lot of members who were, uh, grew up, they were gringos to uh -huh. speak that, that went to English board speak growing up, went on a Spanish speaking mission, ended up marrying Latina, or sometimes they married uh, uh, also another American or gringa. And uh, they, they both attend a Spanish word just because they, they really wanted uh, help and, and more than that, but they, they wanted be an award that they feel good about. And, and so yeah. we have a lot of diversity in that sense as well. Yeah. And, and I love those moments, you know, I was in a stake uh, with a Spanish speaking unit and just walking into those activities, like I was suddenly transported back to my missionary days and it yeah. just, it touches my heart in ways that, because I just had experiences with these people that, and their culture that I'm like, ah, oh, this feels good. You know, I'm, right. I'm glad I have this opportunity to sort of come back here and uh, participate like this. So. Right. Awesome. Well, let me ask you this, yeah. uh, just like practically, I love asking like, any, any apps your bishopric use or word council or, uh, you know, you know, call lists or yeah. any, anything that that's was a sort great of question. unique. So are, are you familiar with WhatsApp? Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's actually, uh, outside huge, of America. It is. Yeah. It yeah. Is so thing. especially Latin America. So I use it for work as well. So I do, I do aside from the work that I do in the U S a lot in Latin America with soccer. And so, um, that's the, messaging app of choice, but also in our ward. So we're able to, it's just so much easier than text messaging. We created a ward council group for mm -hmm. WhatsApp, a bishopric council, or sorry, bishopric group, an extended bishopric that included the financial clerk and the ward clerk, uh, uh, young men's just for the youth, young men for the parents, young women, young men. So that way we have different groups in that way. We're able like to keep bounce around. Yeah, we can yeah. bounce around. We kept the conversation going. A lot of that time, especially during the pandemic, it allowed us to, um, still focus on the important things without having to meet in person. We obviously we would have virtual meetings with through Google, but if we needed immediate answers, it's so much easier than text messages because we're able to, the interface is easier. It's easier to send images. Um, the quality of images is, is better. We're able to have immediate phone calls, like conference calls there. And so that's, 
that's really the main one that we use. And that was a, it, from an efficiency standpoint, it, it helps tremendously. Nice. Love it. All right. Last question I have for you is uh, as you reflect on your time being mm-hmm. a, a leader, especially a bishop, how has being a leader helped you become a better follower of Jesus Christ? Um, well, I think just, you know, and I don't mean this in a sacrilegious way because you're kind of put in a situation as a bishop where you have to um, preside and essentially re- represent the Lord. Right. And so it, it helped me understand how to see going back to my first point seeing how the lord sees others right and so looking past their defects and it helped me gain an appreciation for for despite our defects how the lord truly loves us and and the miracle of the atonement because we have so many even the best person on the earth has a plethora (laughs) very specific word there of sins and transgressions that without the atonement, we cannot return to live with Heavenly Father again, right? And so the fact that His grace is sufficient for all of us, despite our efforts, is probably one of the biggest learning lessons ahead of the bishop is just the, the miracle of the atonement and that uh, it is through Him that we can uh, achieve uh, cleanliness and, and uh, purity in eternity with our families. And that concludes this How I Lead interview. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I would ask you, could you take a minute and drop this link in an email on social media, in a text, wherever it makes the most sense and share it with somebody who could relate to this this experience. And this is how we how we develop as leaders, just hearing what the other guy's doing, trying some things out, testing, adjusting for your area. And uh, that's that's where great leadership's discovered, right? So we would love to have you uh, share this with uh, somebody in this calling or a related calling, and that would be great. And also, if you know somebody, uh, any type of leader, who would be a fantastic guest on the How I Lead segment, uh, reach out to us. Go to leadingsaints.org contact. Maybe send this in individual an email letting them know that you're going to be suggesting their name for this interview. We'll reach out to them and uh, see if we can line them up. So again, go to leadingsaints.org contact. And there you can submit all the information and let us know. And maybe they will be on a future How I Lead segment on the Leading Saints podcast. Remember, solve the burden of meetings by visiting leadingsaints.org 14 and getting 14 days access to the Meetings with Saints virtual library. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.